Okay, what's up guys? Jay Martin here, CEO of Cambridge House, and I'm joined today by the author of The Price of Tomorrow, Jeff Booth. Now, I've had Jeff on the show a few times uh, through the end of 2020 and maybe once at the beginning of 2021, but he's been on a couple times and he's always fascinating to talk to. The Price of Tomorrow was a book that took the macro world by storm in 2020. He published it uh, in January, right before the COVID pandemic hits. But a lot of his case for how the world was going to change over the next 10 years has just been accelerated by this pandemic. And, and Jeff's done the speaker circuit all over the world since then. And his book has been, you know, if not the bestseller, one of the bestsellers in the macro world over the last 13, 14 months. Definitely the number one book that I've given away as gifts. And I read it twice last year. It really is amazing. So I got Jeff on because I wanted to talk about mainly two, two buckets. Number one, uh, the debate that dominated my channel and so many other channels like mine was the inflation versus deflation argument. And the more I dive into this, the more I decide it's not this or that, it's this then that. And that really is how Jeff explains it quite eloquently. So I was excited to dive into this with him, get his sense on timing and get a sense of how the transition from what he believes inflation to deflation will occur slowly, 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 then all at once. Uh, we also got into a lot of the opposition to his Bitcoin narrative or anyone's Bitcoin narrative. And I brought up just the key points that I hear from my audience who still haven't bought in yet. And I reiterate, it's okay to not be bought in yet. I mean, Bitcoin is a very exciting asset. It has an evangelical sentiment surrounding it, which can turn a lot of people off. And I understand why. In addition, it has no track record. 12, 13 years is, is not a track record. And so it's okay to look at it with suspicion and critically, and you should, all right? But you should also consider having a horse in the race or at least look at it. I got into how I buy Bitcoin, why I buy Bitcoin, what makes me uncomfortable about Bitcoin and all that stuff. And Jeff's uh, a very moderate voice in the, the Bitcoin world, which I appreciate because I, I kind of bit tired and exhausted by the, the frothy uh, hype that you gen generally see on Twitter feeds and underneath YouTube videos whenever Bitcoin comes up. Jeff's a lot more moderate, a lot more uh, thoughtful in his approach, and I really appreciate that. So Jeff Booth, the author of The Price of Tomorrow, back on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Enjoy. Okay, guys, Jay Martin here, CEO of Cambridge House. And I'm joined once again by Jeff Booth. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. It's great to see you. Hey, great to see you too, Jay. So if you haven't seen any of my previous interviews with Jeff, you know, Jeff, you, you crashed onto the macro scene last year uh, on the back of your book, The Price of Tomorrow which was published in, I believe, like December, January, prior to COVID, just for context. And, you know, at a high level, the book argues for the deflationary impact of exponential technology, largely uh, in the sense that whatever inflationary actions any central bank takes, those will be dwarfed by the deflationary impact of exponential technology. And then you go into all kinds of threads off of that, um, off of that thesis. Did I summarize okay there? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I was looking for the root cause of all of what we're seeing in the world. And, and so, so if COVID accelerated uh, everything else, but that root cause of technology's progress uh, it was there all along. And, and all of the debt and what people talk about in the, in the monetary policy and worldwide, mm -hmm. everything else is a, is, is, an, is a 
is because of that cause trying to offset that trying to stop is, is essentially trying to stop the deflationary impact of technology right right and so so jeff comes from you know uh from well from the street i mean you're a investor and founder of technology companies as diverse as supply chain disruption real estate investment food production um and so you you walk the walk and your book just so you know is definitely the most gifted book for me in 2020 i think i probably bought and gave away 10 copies to various family members and friends and there's always a book like that for me every year where it's like this is the one i'm going to gift to everybody I and the price that. yeah no i mean it's amazing my brothers my my father uh everybody got a copy last year it, it, it's it's amazing to watch because you know you know we talked about this before i wrote it just because i care i didn't I don't need to make money off a book or anything else. I, do. I wrote it because I really care about kind of the world we live in, the, the world my kids are going to grow up in. Mm. And I couldn't see the juxtaposition of what was happening. And nobody was talking about it at that level and because they're two different systems. And but, but fast forward to where we are today, I cannot believe how many people read that book three times, how, how it's still a bit bestseller in many countries around the world. And how many people reach out and kind of and and all the way up the ladder from governments to to <laughs> to the top top companies and everything else. It's been uh, because once you understand the framework of what's happening, it gives you um, it gives you a superpower in understanding what's going to happen next. And mm. if you understand the game board, you be way easier to to understand the, the probabilities of the next moves on the game board. I love that. Okay, well let's let's talk about the game board. I like that. And I, I'm one of those people, as soon as I finished it, I turned it over and opened the first page again and read it a second time. There's a lot in there. So, uh, you know, I thought an interesting way to start this conversation, Jeff, would be to talk about oh, what's changed since you and I last spoke, which was, I believe, the late fall of 2020. And a lot has changed. So maybe for context, some data points I can share with you what's changed in my life from my perspective. My realtor called me two weeks ago and asked if I was willing to sell my house offered me 80% more than what I paid two years ago and said she had a handful of buyers that were willing to move tomorrow. Now, I live in one of these hotspots. I'm 45 minutes outside of a city center in a beautiful little mountain town. And locations like this are getting eaten up right now because you want people want to move out of the cities but be close to the city. Uh, secondly, we're building a shed in my backyard. The boards that I was going to buy a year ago, yeah, you know where this is going, $26 at Home Depot, 94 today, one year later, one year later. So what, what's going on? If you go back to the first, first principles of, of the book, you're, you have a, an, an inflationary system we've always lived in that's competing with a, a technology that's trying to drive prices down. And so, so if you allow that if technology and technology, most of the deflation or let's say the, the, what should happen with technology with technology's impact on our world is it nobody puts technology in a business to be able to make prices go up to you you put technology in a business to give more for less and so look all around you that is the biggest force in our life it's why you use google it's why you use amazon it's why you use all of these uh, these products and on one side remember two different systems one one side if you allow that to happen today you have this mountain of debt that deflation makes debt more expensive. Yeah. 
So, so and the debt can't be repaid. The debt, it's impossible to repay that debt. The growth rate would have to be so staggering to uh, to repay that, that mm. debt over time. Um, so you have over $250 trillion of debt in the world with $185 trillion coming in the last 20 years, as you would project, because you've had to add, have had to add to it faster and faster and faster because technology is moving the other way. So, so on one side, on one system, you have technology trying to give us more for less. In the, in the system we live in, with it, which is an inflationary system that requires essentially our money to be worth less every year, mm-hmm. you have central banks trying to outrun that impact. And so, and you know this from the book, because because I projected these. <laughs> Because because if you understand how fast technology is moving, you understand on the other side what has to happen to try to offset that. So what's happening to lumber prices is, and what happened to housing prices is everything's running into stores of values um, to be able to, or to scarce goods, to be able to try to find value in in that. Essentially, your dollar is being worth your dollar is worth less and it's buying less. Um, um, is what's is what's happening because central government, the central banks are monetizing the debt. Yeah. So, yeah. and and the byproduct to society is uh, is pretty evident. Some people are getting very wealthy, and and you're picking the pocket of others, and so that's driving this inequality that you see. And it's not just lumber prices, it's not just house prices, but it's food prices as well. Yeah. Now, what you'd have to ask from this equation. If you're looking at the next step, is so what would businesses do if if their prices are going up? And they, wouldn't they try to automate faster? If they couldn't get labor, wouldn't they try to automate faster? So you're in this cycle, you're in this cycle. And again, these are I wish this wasn't true, but it is true. You're you're in this these two different forces that are radically opposed to each other. And we've lived in a system. And we measure the existing system and all our outcomes from the existing system. And it's competing against a new system Mm. that is more powerful. So in the end, ultimately, so governments today, you see the stock markets today. I don't know when you're going to publish this. And and I've said this is going to flail around for a long time. But governments today are forced with a really tough challenge. You either inflate this away, keep accommodative policies, and you have this kind of massive inflation rate mm-hmm. but it's a um it's targeted to certain things as technology goes the other way yeah or you raise interest rates and and if you raise interest rates everything collapses and so it just keeps on so you you essentially force that deflationary spiral but there's nothing back in currencies so once that deflationary spiral starts to to happen it just keeps on unwinding and so I wish those weren't the choices, but they are the choices. So, so now you, you run the probabilities on what governments are going to do, right? And and they will, they might pretend they're going to, they're going to raise rates. They might, yeah. <laughs> but and but if if they if they too if that happens or if they do it for too long, then you're going to tip into a deflationary depression. So let me try to explain how I understand this concept and you tell me where i'm on and where i'm off jeff because the deflation versus inflation conversation dominated channels like mine like real vision like all these shows 
uh, over the course of 2020. It was like two camps, one or the other, right? And to me, it's always seemed like neither one's right or wrong. It's just a matter of timing. We're going to move from one to the next, right? We're going to move from inflation to deflation, but it's, it's a time horizon. It's not this, then that, this or that. So, yeah. you know, I'll lean on the, the Mark Andreessen quote, you know, software is eating the world. And as software eats more of the world, that part of the world becomes deflationary, right? And we've experienced this in our access to apps on our phone and, and the amounts of, of services and information that we now have for free, massively deflationary, right? But hard assets and whatnot are still inflating because of the money printing and the, the stimulus and all this stuff. As software eats more of that, eats more of the world, more of the world will become deflationary. Is this the process? Like, am I understanding that correctly? Or what were your thoughts? Yeah, that's the process. And that's why I say most of the deflation is in front of us. So, yeah. so, okay. so take any example. So let's use, let's use a real example to make this, uh, this real, and then we'll extrapolate into a bunch of others. Sure. Uh, uh, but, but again, people will see these examples are all around us if you look, but let's just use one. When I was growing up, I bought a whole bunch of CDs. Even when I wanted to listen to one song on a CD, um, I a whole bunch of CDs. I had a collection of first eight, first cassettes and then CDs. And, and those were things, right? It was really just information, but it was, it, was, it was described as things that I bought. And a whole supply chain and a whole, a whole industry of people who chose what music I wanted to listen to and stuffed a supply chain. So I would go to the record store and, and buy, buy a CD and yeah. it produced a, a whole bunch of GDP. Sure. And, and now I can get unlimited music for $10 a month. Yeah. It's great. Like millions, tens of millions, maybe billions of songs. The, the world's creative energy because production costs or so production cost has gone to zero distribution cost has gone to zero. Mm -hmm. And so now you can, you can essentially take that information, digitize it, and it's there forever. And so a cat, you can, you can monetize a catalog for $10 a month and, and, um, and give everybody music. And, and so you've created a new kind of monopoly. Where is that? Uh, where is that showing up in GDP? It doesn't. It shows up as growth, growth in a digital world, growth is where we're moving to is negative GDP, right? Because, right? It's massively negative in GDP. We have a wrong measure. We measure GDP as things, but more and more of our things are becoming information. Mm -hmm. And that process is accelerating and this is accelerating everywhere. Energy. If you, so, so on one side, we have solar that's actually reducing energy cost. And I, yeah. I realize it's not. Uh, but but it's reducing energy costs by 11% a year and it's already the lowest cost energy sure now i realize the battery backup and there's it's not completely there yet on an loc sure um but but let's just say it's batteries you're getting more storage all the time solar is coming down 11% a year now just follow that trend so it's already the lowest cost energy so it's competing with the entire energy grid mm. and that's a tiny piece of energy growing each year and getting cheaper each year yeah. And energy is the number one input in everything else. Right. So if you have cheaper energy competing with other energy that's getting cheaper every year and expanding, not just 1% of the energy grid, but more and more of the energy grid, wouldn't that stand to reason that that's going to be additive to deflation over time? Of course. Of course. Just really simple. Yeah. So, so now on one side, you have lower and lower cost and everything built on top of energy 
lower and lower cost. And on the other side, you have, you have a system that requires higher and higher prices forever. So when you then print money, mm -hmm. oil prices, which are scarce and we still need oil, mm -hmm. respond by moving up in price. And so, 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 and then as they respond to moving up in price, a whole bunch of oil and, and, and we're now is now is economically feasible. And on the other side, you're moving faster and faster with technology. So the faster you're moving with technology on one side of the, the faster you have to print money. Right. And, and so all of this is what I described in the book and, and we have a system change. We're living through a system change and we don't know it. Most no. people don't know it. They haven't, they haven't done the, they, uh, they haven't, they're, they're measuring their system by, by the inflated asset prices. Well, that's what and, we live. That's what we experience, right? And we experience it. Our food prices went up. I need, a, I, I need to find a job that pays me more. Yeah. I need to do this. And, 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 and it's, it's, a, it's a very manipulated economy. Mm. There is no free market right now. I mean, in, in Canada, I think, or no, in the U.S., it's worse in Canada. 38% of all uh, 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 of, of all the spending is government support. Isn't that amazing? So it's amazing. It's a shocking number. And people don't, and, and it's worse in Canada, and people don't actually understand kind of what that, what that means. I, I, I sitting on boards and everything else, and I see in a, in a, in a audit committee meeting or people are looking at the government spending line item in their company, kind of, or they offset to labor in their company and saying, we're really profitable yeah and and that's just showing the first order effects what they're not asking is what about all your customers that are also getting that that wouldn't be your customers if that was removed mm -hmm. so so it's so 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 when you realize how embedded this system is and how how governments effectively are forced now to continue to print because because and they didn't see how fast technology was moving and they didn't see see what that change meant, and so what what happens is that you kick the can down the road. It gets worse and worse and worse, and so that's where we are. Winter is coming, unfortunately. I wish Winter. that wasn't the case. Yeah, well, and it 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 seems to be when I hear you explain this that we're going to continue to creep subtly towards some inevitable tipping point when we shift from, I guess dominantly inflation to predominantly deflation that may happen really fast right so if it if it happened fast there will be a nationalization of all banks okay so so think about what that think about yes, that there would that have to be. yeah <laughs> think about what that means there's there's call it approximately to 130 trillion dollars of negative real interest bonds around the world sure right? and, and and so so today you're already guaranteed to lose money on yeah, what yeah. what people would say is the risk-free rate. Every other economic calculation is built on top of it and and on your best day you're going to lose money. And you know that governments have to print so it's going to be way worse than that that. <laughs> yeah. So that's where a lot of my is, is, is sitting. And so if you allow deflation to happen if it starts tipping into deflation and remember those bonds it, it, there's nothing backing them. It's you, I borrowed money from you. Somebody borrowed money, and so it's counterparty risk all the way down the sand. And if the if you start having asset price declining, and 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 debt against those uh, those asset prices or deflation, then the debt becomes unpayable, 
and it starts to unwind. And that unwind would take down everything and force government's hands to save the system. Save, save the system. Yeah. Probably at the highest level, and this is really important. Where technology is moving today, you must have a currency that allows for deflation. You have to. That hasn't always been the case, but, but today it is because how fast technology is moving. Because if you don't, the only alternative is to, to, uh, to concentrate power in the hands of the state. Sure. Because remember, probably natural for a whole bunch of your listeners and you and everybody else is we actually expect the, we, ex- we, we measure at zero that inflation rate. Okay, inflation rate is 2% or inflation rate is 3% or 1%. The technology that base is actually way ne- ne- more negative. The technology might be giving negative 5% per year. Mm-hmm. So zero is inflation. Sure. Sure. <laughs> right. That's interesting. So, and, and so, so we don't think about it that, that, that way, but on, on one side in our lives, we look for things that are less, we, where we get more for less. Of course. It drives course. our behaviors. Human nature. Yeah. Why, why would we live in a system where we try to make our money worth less? So we try to get less right. for more. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any Logically, sense. Logically, we wouldn't choose that. So, so if you just, if you just kind of follow where technology is moving, Mm-hmm. And and what's happening? Um, if you if you don't allow that that to happen, you're concentrating wealth and power, and eventually, sure. eventually, you have a completely managed economy. And after that happens, you typically run it, um, into government by the biggest thug. Right, right, right. Knowing this is how you think and what you see coming, and knowing that you've got. You've got a bit of a bit of money, and you can choose to locate yourself anywhere. Granted, you've got kids and school and all this, but you know those are in, those are things that you can manage. Why are you based in Canada, Jeff? And have you debated moving towards some emerging country with a healthier balance sheet? Is there any upside to that, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, so <laughs> this is a I, I want to be careful on because this is kind of a nuanced um, answer. Okay. Actually, um, in, although we look in Canada as we, we say, okay, our balance sheet is terrible. Everything's going to be terrible. But because Canada has so many raw materials. Sure. It actually has a natural hedge against all this printing. Interesting. What, why our dollar is actually up right now because of that. We produce a lot of natural resources. Natural resources. We're rich in natural resources, and it's right. a, it's a it's a hedge, and that gives us. Now, that's not going to last forever, and everything else. But in this, it does give it give us a hedge, and it get allows governments to get away with more than they could. could. Sure, I'm sure. not now not talking about the negative externalities of those decisions, right? The concentration of yeah. wealth, and and the, and essentially the government essentially becoming everything. Right. That is, there is no free market, but so, so today in Canada, I still live a really great life. What, and, and when I look when I scour regions around the world and everything else, I, I still think this is a pretty decent place to, to live. Yeah. I, I suspect that's going to change. Interesting. And, and, um, I suspect, but it's going to change in a whole bunch of regions as well. Yeah. 
um, because of what we're talking about. And that's, and I've talked to you before about why I'm so pro Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I know that's, yeah, we'll get to that for but, sure. Yeah. Um, but because, because, because it's, uh, because it's a lifeboat away from this mm-hmm. and I can, and I can remember 12 words and I can move anywhere in an instant. Um, right. and, and so, uh, so, so, uh, so it gives me the flexibility to kind of watch, see things react and everything else. We are still early in this cycle. Um, it might it might speed up but because the technology is exponential on one side and government printing has to be exponential on the other side and it's not mm. just that right it's the negative externalities from that right the the divide of society yeah. the, the, those are the things those are the things i think i would really worry about yeah. you say you, you say that without going back to that inflation deflation debate yeah, governments can create inflation if they want to. That's some sort of big enough uh, amount of printing or destruction of the currency. If you have a printing press, you can create inflation if you want to. It's just what's the cost of that, right? To society, right? So, and again, structurally, they're they're trying to stop something they can't stop, and or or or, or, or because technology is moving faster. More importantly. Why would you want to stop it? Isn't technology supposed to save our time? So why would you why, why would you keep people on a treadmill trying to work more and more jobs mm-hmm. that are going to be removed anyways? And you're trying to keep prices artificially high so that when people lose their job, they fall to the floor. So you have to save them with more printing. All, yeah. to, save, all to save a system that wouldn't be required if you let technology do its job. And the, I mean, is the reason not just self-preservation at it's, the end of the day? That's, that's exactly, they, they can't see the path to, to what it would look like. And I would say society in general, right. Um, can't see the side, the, the path to what it looked like. We got, we, we believed for, for a long time, me, so I, I going through the book too. I had to come to terms with some demons or some, I had to unwind some previous knowledge that I thought was true. Mm-hmm. And had to face different facts. And those are hard to come to terms with because I thought inflation wasn't a bad thing. 2% inflation, this is, but if you actually examine inflation, it's so, so if you say, if you, so what is inflation? My money is worth less each year and it's yep. designed to do so. So if somebody came to you and said, um, I'm going to take your money without your knowledge, hmm. um, is that a theft? course we don't call inflation a theft but it is a theft yeah and um and what if then then they said i'm only going to do it at two percent or three percent or fifty percent it like does the rate of inflation (laughs) matter to the theft no and and because it gives some people artificial money so if you if you own a whole bunch of assets you're winning yeah and it picks the pockets of others we don't see it as a theft because some of us are enriched by it and some of us yeah. are impoverished by, by, yes. by it. And, and then we look at kind of people who are impoverished by it, who can't get into the best schools or can't get into everything else. And we say they should just work harder. Sure. Right. When, when their real wages are going down every year and they don't have the assets that are offsetting against inflation. Yeah. And so we don't see their pain um, in that. And it's really a theft. And why we didn't see it for so so long is 
technology wasn't moving as fast. But now technology is moving faster and faster and faster, and it wants prices to follow faster. And, and so now you have to offset to try to offset that gain with more and more stimulus, which is causing all hell to break loose around the world. So people can feel what I wrote about and mm-hmm. they can 100%. feel it everywhere. It just kind of, that's it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and, and as an entrepreneur, what I think about is I want to know the root cause of a problem. I want to know, I don't, I don't care what the answer is. I want to know the truth. Yeah. Because once I understand the, how something works, right down to the sand for first principle then i can then i can find the best way forward all the the energy goes into moving forward instead of trying to preserve what was that might not be anymore and that's a long way to answer answer your question but it but in every business and i used on your show before the blockbuster example what's normal is people protect what they had of course um and there's a there's a natural chain of events in protecting protecting what they had, like Blockbuster adding candy aisles to the stores <laughs> to compete with Netflix. to compete with Netflix, yeah. which is all that changed is download speeds moved faster. Yeah, and and made the business uh, made Blockbuster's business irrelevant. Um, but by the time they by the, by the time they faced the fact that technology was changing the the rules, it was too too late. Yeah. That, that same thing is happening at the at a monetary policy today. So it's happening at central banks all over the world. And what they're doing is adding candy aisles to their stores. Sure. And and so so I I've come to a realization, and that's if I went back to Bitcoin and I've gone, you can imagine how much work I've done on on why. Um, and everybody needs to do their own reason on why. But I've come to the realization that this system it's impossible for the system to change itself okay without revolution and war sure um which which normally when you go through these these throughout history is how currencies are reset yeah every time no one gives up power willingly government especially exactly so 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 the path that we're on this sounds terrible and i wish it wasn't the path but the path we're on is revolution and, and war out of the existing system and the potential best path on a transition is bitcoin because I believe. because yeah. because because bitcoin it is it's a currency that allows for deflation right and so so now right now you only have two and a half percent of the world's population on bitcoin sure but it's but it, there there's a network effect growing it's growing extraordinarily fast and an entire ecosystem being built on top of it and a lot of people would look at Bitcoin today like they would look at the internet in 1996. Yeah. And they would miss everything that's coming. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they, you miss network effects. Yeah. Um, and so they're measuring Bitcoin today and is something that they don't think can be used very much and forgetting what's happening with all of the entrepreneurs and the technology and the, and the accumulation that's happening, the layer two that's happening on top of it. And they're going to, and, and so, yeah. So, so how fast that changes the game so right now you have two and a half percent of the global population uh holding bitcoin or on it um and that needs to be a higher number to essentially provide a transition from mm-hmm. one system to another system yeah so yeah to be robust it does need to to, uh, to, uh, to, to be robust 
What's up, everybody? Sorry for the interruption. Quick note: If you enjoy these conversations, I publish a weekly newsletter, and it's free, where I share my top takeaways, lessons learned, and any action steps I might be taking as a consequence in the market. Sign up at CambridgeHouse.com. I publish every week, and it's free. Now back to the conversation. And that really shifted my thinking about Bitcoin because. Typically, when I buy something, I know why I buy it. And because I know why I buy it, I know why I will sell it. When it came to Bitcoin, I wasn't super clear on that, Jeff. Like I, I spoke to enough people like yourself and like Raul Paul and Lynn Alden. And, you know, I, I heard enough to know I needed a horse in the race, right? I needed a percent of my net worth in Bitcoin. I wasn't super clear on why, to be honest with you. And that troubled me because I look at this asset growing rapidly. It began at X percent of my portfolio, but at the, you know, the, the pace of growth, it's more than that now. It's funny how it works, but, but I'd look at it and say, okay, well, if I believe Bitcoin is a speculation, then I should be de-risking, taking my principal out, you know, taking some profits and, and lowering my risk exposure. But I don't believe it's a speculation. If I believe it's a future currency, then maybe I should be buying as much as humanly possible at any price, because by the time there's some kind of mass adoption, even in my neighborhood, the price would have to quintuple. Right. If right. I believe it's a safe haven asset class, a dollar cost average in, I don't sweat the price. And that's what I do. Right. And that's the easiest way to deal with an asset that I think is important, but I'm not super clear on. And I I I wanna I wanna like emphasize this to people. It's okay to not be clear on what Bitcoin is. In fact, I think you shouldn't be. It doesn't have a track record. There isn't one. You know, 13 years isn't a track record. So it's okay to look at it with suspicion, look at it with mystery, look at it with curiosity, but look at it. I think yeah. that's the most important. Yeah, and and what I would say is the 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 deeper you go down the rabbit hole in understanding what's happening on and what what Bitcoin and even there's a lot of people in Bitcoin that don't really know because they're they're still measuring an existing system. They they think the existing system will still be stable. It won't be. Um, and and so they back and forth and even what you were just saying. What okay? How do I look at this and I measure my existing system? What I think is happening is Bitcoin is actually telling the truth about the technology deflation you're seeing everywhere. In other words, um, Bitcoin against all other assets, every other asset, house, everything, housing, everything else will deflate against Bitcoin. Sure. It'll forever. In, for, for some time, it'll be really fast as there's price appreciation in Bitcoin. But later on, mm. if assuming it moves out into into governments pegged to it or or, or it becomes a current a currency later on the the upward volatility will slow and it would it would actually measure kind of prices coming down naturally through the economy okay yeah and that's that's the best answer is when I was like, look at Bitcoin, your response was, well, look at everything else, right? And that's why you would look towards Bitcoin. Now, Jeff, like I, I know you've probably had this conversation a hundred million times, the opposition to Bitcoin. And so I just want to, <laughs> yeah, I just want to give you a chance to, uh, to address a couple of things. So first of all, um, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the biggest pro Bitcoin arguments is that it's, it's finite, right? There's a fixed number right? It's 21 million. There's never going to be 22 million. Uh, the pushback I get to that is, okay, sure. 
but it's seemingly infinitely divisible. So what's the difference? You can't have 22, but you can have, if you can divide, it's like saying there's only so many trillion dollar bills in the world, but it doesn't matter because you can divide them into pennies. So it's like in first printing. So what's your response to the almost exponential divisibility of a Bitcoin? And then does that really qualify as a finite asset? 21, 21 million is a finite asset. The divisibility doesn't matter of the, that finite asset. It's uh, visibility just allows more people to participate. Sure. So but if yeah. you think about it in terms of Satoshis, then the number is exponentially larger. Yeah. Right. If Which eventually it, we will. Exactly. If you think about it as US dollars divided by pennies. Yeah. Or, or trillions of dollars divided by pennies and you can print unlimited trillions of dollars. It's the same thing. Right. right? So you can't print unlimited 21 million Bitcoin. It's 21 million forever. And then entire, the entire stack is even though it's divisible, you have a hard cap. It's, it's divisible. So the world could use it. Everyone in the world could use it mm -hmm. because if you didn't have enough, if you didn't have enough, then it couldn't ever be a currency. Sure. And, and, and this is a, a juvenile question, but is it, is there a limit to the division? hundred, hundred million, a hundred million, hundred million per Bitcoin per Bitcoin. Yeah. A hundred million Satoshis per Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so my next, uh, the next question I get is a lot of people claim that Bitcoin will be the destruction of our financial overlords, right? It's this new decentralized system that eliminates centralized power and all this stuff. The pushback I get to that is that yes, but there's a very small percentage of people who have buy, been buying Bitcoin for the previous decade or even today. And you know, if they're holding, by the time we do get, you know, we're at two, two percent and change, by the time we got to 50%, if we do, you know, that original two percent will be holding so much more wealth in Bitcoin than anybody else could ever accumulate that the overlords don't disappear. They just shift from. I, I, I love the question because, if, uh, and, and you, essentially you're, we're going to dispel some myths on this. Great. Um, so, so if you looked at any technology company in the beginning, it's owned a hundred percent by the founder. Yeah. And as the technology company scales, that ownership goes way down. And more, as more and more people participate mm -hmm. there. Yeah, absolutely. Even though the founder has a lot of wealth out of it, a lot of other people create wealth out of it as well as it distributes th uh, through society. Now take let's, uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, um, and funny that you say this, this is a question my dad uh, couldn't get over on Bitcoin. So was so, so after many dinners and everything else, uh, um, let's imagine, remember, we're measuring a one system try, and it's really hard because we're stuck in a system thinking it'll change. So today they're in, in their existing system. There's 46, 47 million millionaires and tens of thousands of billionaires. And, um, and there's only 21 million Bitcoin. So even if all of those people held one Bitcoin, there, there's no way for all of those people to hold one Bitcoin. Right. So, so you have a massive shift and, and anyways, and it cha changes the, it changes the, this. There isn't, it's impossible uh, to, to, to hold uh, to. So it naturally equalizes. 
more important is this. Uh, let's assume I had uh, 10,000, 100,000 million Bitcoin. So let's assume I'm, I'm that person. Sure. And I want to live beyond, and, and the only way in a bit, once if, if Bitcoin goes to where we're talking about, is the only way to actually deliver more, get more Bitcoin, is to, by providing value to society. Fair? Sure. So if I don't want to provide value, and let's say I want to, I have a million Bitcoin, I'm going to create a standing army to control people. The byproduct of doing that, because I'm not creating value, I'm actually distributing my Bitcoin, sure. losing, my, losing my power. Sure. Right. <laughs> so, so the more that you rent seek and sit on top, yeah. the more the more you're distributing Bitcoin. So it, it's a forcing it's a forcing function to a free market is really what it is. It allows a free market to work, and it takes away centralized power out of the uh, out, of, out out of that free market. And, and as a byproduct, entrepreneurs in a free market delivering value. What is, an, what, what is a company? It's an entrepreneur's, I, you wouldn't use a product or service unless it delivered value to you. Mm -hmm. So te technology entrepreneurs with technology today are trying to break down monopoly power everywhere with technology to give more value. You would think that as a natural byproduct of that, prices would, would fall down. Or come mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. They're not falling down because you're concentrating wealth and power from a system, and and so from an from from the existing system. So the free market isn't working. Okay. Right. So so if you just take that logic to the to the end, yes, there would be a change. Yes, there would be a change. But if you looked at how much wealth is owned by the, by the top 0.1 percent today, yeah, it's staggering. It's it's actually worse than it would be today on Bitcoin. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now the last, I'm sort of conscious of time, but the, the last question I would put in front of you on this theme would be probably the most common opposition I used to hear. And I hear it far less and less now. And this is that a government like the U.S., a powerful government will eventually intervene. Right. And you could say that ship has sailed, you know, that to, to your arguments about the network effect. And I think that's why I like the network effect thought when it comes to Bitcoin, because we can all relate to that now, the power of companies who have accomplished network effect, you know, the Facebook, Instagrams of the world. That's what we're talking about. But money, it's, it's, it's incredible. I recently listened to a episode on, I believe it was Real Vision, and it was Brent Johnson discussing his thoughts on Bitcoin. His thoughts are that if the government, the US government is going to make a ploy, to intervene. It's going to be in the next 12 to 18 months because they see that ship sailing right now. And they've still got some tools left in their tool belt to make it very inconvenient to own Bitcoin. I'm not asking you whether or not they would succeed. What I would ask you is if they made an attempt, what are some things you think they might do? Or do you think that ship's already sailed regardless and it's, it's water under the bridge? Oh. So again, if you're going to, going to investigate Bitcoin and, and go down to the sand, put a tiny bit in for your listeners, put a tiny bit in, start to understand it. And, and, and then as you understand it more, you just decide, but do not buy it if you, if you can't handle it going down in price or uh, because, uh, because if you're trading Bitcoin daily, that'd be a really 
it's the same as what's happening in all the altcoins, which I do not believe. I think, but mm -hmm. but let's go let's go to Bitcoin. Don't trade it daily. Just think about it as what we're talking about as a long-term hold. If you and and the best way on put a hundred dollars on, so it starts to make you want to look more and understand it. Mm. Um, now into your to your other question. So if if the people think about governments as as the government can do everything, and it, and and fair enough, but the government is elected by us, and and the federal government is in in the U.S. It, there's also state governments, and so, so let's say right now, and these are this is the, these are the facts. Bitcoin is is a technology that empowers human beings, individual rights and freedoms. A technology that empowers and and I believe and like I said before, it's a requirement of a of a currency to allow for deflation and where we're moving to. It's a requirement. Otherwise, all wealth, all concentrate. Otherwise, you manage you have a completely managed economy that looks a lot like Russia eventually. Sure. So those are the two ends of the spectrum. And so, what is a government going to do? And remember, government is a collection of us. Mm -hmm. Just to say, because by by saying I, I am against Bitcoin, you now have to say I'm for a completely managed economy. Right. And so that truth, however uncomfortable that truth is, is starting to be known by a whole bunch of people. And what you're seeing in the U.S. is you're seeing individual states integrate Bitcoin into, <laughs> into their policymaking decisions in Wyoming, in Texas, and Florida, and, and, so, and in cities and everything else. And so the truth, it, um, a truth <laughs> is really hard to stop with a lie. So even though that lie is something we've always taken for granted, the truth around this technology that actually is providing is technology that empowers individual rights and freedoms, powers and um, new, it's hard to stop. So, um, so I would say that today, and now you add game theory on top of that, um, early countries, early states, early anybody early, early individuals, early corporations, have an outsized benefit by going early. And so, so that technology kind of now, and, and, and governments are elected by us, hard to stop that. Uh, uh, it's hard to stop that truth. Because remember, if somebody says, I'm going to stop it, there's a whole bunch of other people that want to get elected, that want to want to say why it's important. Mm -hmm. And so you're starting to see that all over the uh, all over the world right now, and and, and now I'm going to argue the other side. Before when I looked at Bitcoin, I actually looked at could governments or could you have a coordinated attack by because it would take more than G7, it'd take a coordinated attack that everybody would agree. Okay, here's what we're going to do, and um, from the existing system to stop this from moving. Let's look at the, what that would look like. So we 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 all know that you just have you have debt that can't re be repaid, and you have asset prices that are climbing as a result. And so, what the, that coordination of governments would have to do is go and say, because there is no fix from the existing system. So, the I think about what the fix would look like, and there's you know how you hear great reset. Yeah, what would a great reset look like? So 
all of those governments and then all trickle down to every single thing we own and everything else we take for granted would have to agree on who gets the write-offs and who doesn't and everything else. And everyone would be arguing about why they shouldn't happen there. And my, my, my debt is good. Your debt is bad. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> everything yeah. Else. But it's all connected. And so, so how would that in, in, in this world today where we live with distrust because of these policies, how is that going to, how is that going to look? So I suspect by, yeah, by the time yeah. they start talking about this, no chance Bitcoin is moving on a network effect. It moves faster and faster and faster, and it's too late. Mm-hmm. And and so it starts getting governments to come on side with it. I want to add one more thing, and this Please. is probably um and and this is important in kind of the game theory and how this whole thing could look because we're living in in different times, right? Our existing system is failing before our eyes, um, and we're living through it. So, so now let's say um, I wanted to I wanted to try to kill Bitcoin. I wanted to, uh, um, which I don't think is possible today. How fast it's moving! So that's first. But what if? Because we all we always we elect governments for short term instead of long term. What what allows them to uh, print more money is because they promise us things that they can't pay for. Sure, and they don't have to and, deal with the consequences. And they don't have to deal with the consequences, and they pick somebody's pocket. They pick the middle class and poor's pocket to pay for the spending. Yeah. So that's what. But and then the middle class and poor, poor that are most hurt by those policies say say we need to elect you to do it to do it to us more. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. so so think about our human condition. Not, and I don't mean any one person. I mean our human broad human condition to believe that story that uh, that will and now now imagine governments say okay we need to do something let's let it all collapse at which point but let it all collapse to a point where where the populace is demanding us to fix it right and now let's introduce a central bank digital currency right to help help fix it right 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 and and or let's take one of these crazy altcoins, which we could control. Sure. Right. Because, because they're not decentralized or the Ethereum is not <laughs> what, we're ta- what we're talking about in Bitcoin. All of these, let's, let's think about something like that, which we could, uh, w- which we could, which we can control. So I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate on my own thinking. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at the other side on what all the possibilities uh, could be. And I still don't think in any case it stops Bitcoin's progress, but it could slow it. Sure. And, it, and, it, um, yeah. and, and, and for, uh, for a time. Or kick the can down the or road. Or kick the can down the road. Yeah, which we're all familiar with. That's yeah. such a great point that, you know, politicians are career-driven individuals, just like the rest of us, but they're massively incentivized to deliver short-term results. Right. right. And man, that's it's a scary statement to think about, but it's also and, 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 and unfortunately, so this is going to go way deeper. Uh, I, I'll try to do it quickly. But the when I think about Bitcoin and why I'm in it, um, I don't need the money. I don't need any more money. I don't need I'm in it actually for I really am in it because I think it's humanity's best hope for a better future. That's why I'm in it primarily. 
I, I could care less about the money. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, because the existing system won't work. I've investigated everything. And I think this is actually the best path for humanity. But how many people, and given what we said before, now how many people, if Bitcoin, if the existing system fell today and you had two and a half percent of people on Bitcoin and you couldn't drive down the road because everybody was starving, um, that would be a pretty, that would be a pretty terrible world. So we have to find a way to get Bitcoin adoption way up from where we are uh, right now mm -hmm. so that you, that you have this transition path and you have a glide path for society that allows, uh, allows what I'm talking about, techno the, the, the abundance gained by technology to be mm -hmm. most broadly distributed. Yes, there would still be winners, there'd still be losers, but it'd be more broadly distributed, the abundance gained from technology under the standard. That's why I care about it. And, and I've thought about this long and hard. Why don't people in Russia right now, why don't people in Myanmar right now, uh, and some people do, they rise up, why doesn't everybody rise up? Well, I go to think about that analogy of the uh, the dog sitting on a porch who's whining. And um, the dog's owner's friend says, what's wrong with your dog? And the dog's owner says, oh, he's sitting on a nail. And he says, well, why doesn't he move? He goes, well, it's not bothering him enough to move. So he just complains about it. And, and, and so, <laughs> so but, but anyways, if you think about this and you, if you think about um, terrible regimes through time, Sure. Why doesn't most of the population revolt against that? And, and what ends up happening is, uh, is that control for the allure of safety, my own personal safety, is too much to be able to, I hope somebody else does it. So there's a silent majority yeah. that, doesn't, uh, that, that doesn't do anything. And so, uh, and so I would like to see for this to happen because right now there's too much of a silent majority that would just go along with the status quo. Yeah, because the unknown is scary, right? The unknown is scary. And, and so what I so so what I think we need in Bitcoin as as this happens is people start to really understand the implications of the existing system and the implications of where that path goes. Mm. You need a whole bunch of people in Bitcoin and and I want to, I'm going to defend the maximalists in this statement, but I don't, I think about it differently than them. You need a bunch of people fighting for this network, no matter what. Mm. Right. And they can come across as aggressive and everything else. And what I don't like about that is it doesn't allow a lot more people on because, because, because it becomes too, it becomes too in your face. Right. And so, so. So I show, I try to show up differently um, on, on that, but, uh, but. Yeah. And I appreciate that by the way. Uh, and we'll get into why in a minute, but like, sorry, carry on there. Um, but you need, you need people defending this. You need uh, the, you need people defending this network at all costs. Right. Um, because, right. because it is actually that important where this transition is, uh, where this transition is going. It's that important for humanity, I believe. Yeah, and I, I agree. And, and, you know, your, your, I guess, more moderate pitch is so important because, and I can speak personally, one of the biggest oppositions to Bitcoin is the sentiment right now. And I come from a place of watching cycles for a living, you know, mm -hmm. and I've seen numerous market cycles and the behavior at the top is always similar. It gets a bit obnoxious, right? The, and in Bitcoin, that manifests in the sense of like, have fun staying, staying poor. poor. 
yeah. whatever, it's like it becomes volatile or, or sort of vile right away, right? And it's it turns you off. It's like, okay, I've seen enough of this behavior in other markets over the last 12, 15 years that I don't want no part of it, right? I tend to, okay, when things get that crazy, that frothy, it's time to step back and let that ride out, but I'll, I'll get off now, thanks. And, uh, and it's unfortunate, but you, know, you have to be able to cut through that noise. It's important. And I've been able to cut through that noise and get over that. It doesn't bother me in crypto like it maybe yeah. did, you know, six months ago or whatever. But yeah. And I think that's a really good, uh, good insight because when I look at that kind of have fun saying, and, and again, <laughs> write a book and be on a speaking circuit everywhere. I'm in the middle of this all the time. And a bunch of my friends now and people I really respect would say that. Right. And they still really respect them. Yes. Nothing that anybody else says is going to kind of hurt my feelings from my, I've done my work um, on, on why I believe and everything else. And unless somebody can tell me how the existing system can work without concentration of, uh, of power and, and the negative externalities, mm -hmm. thank you. I'm, I'm long Bitcoin, <laughs> but right. if, if you can tell, if you can tell me how your system work, how the system works uh, that with, um, from a first principle standpoint, I'm willing to listen. Mm. And so, so now when I look at this, there are certain people in an audience, uh, kind of in, in kind of on the existing system. Let's take some people that apps absolutely know we're talk what we're talking about and how the existing system cannot work yet they still push back and defend it and so for, i understand um i i don't do it but i understand how how somebody could turn on that and just get frustrated and say something like have fun staying poor yeah the problem with, with in my mind is what they don't realize is that that spins up into the greater community that they don't know is reading that same stuff and then won't look at Bitcoin deeper. Yeah. Because it looks, it looks too edgy. It looks childish. So I, it looks, it looks childish or not just looks childish uh, or, or it looks, it, it looks like it's too hard to learn and there's a whole bunch of crazies in it. Sure. It's not true. Uh, it's, it's, uh, but, but it would, it might seem like that on your first, on your first look at Bitcoin because, mm. because the existing power structure is in the news all the time and they point out have fun staying poor or something like that which spreads like wildfire of course of course it does yeah the the punchline will always get the headline okay look jeff uh it's we're out of time unfortunately because i still have like three or four buckets on my sheet that i wanted to talk to <laughs> we'll do it next time <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll do it next time education i mean there's so much other stuff i want to get into you to to with you so thanks for coming back on it is great to see you and yeah great uh, to see you too yeah, and uh, we'll, we will do it again in the near future, but I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, Jay. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.